Good morning. It is Wednesday, April 21st. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Brandon Marcello, National College Football Reporter for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, I got to I gotta come clean with you. I was, I was looking for topics this week, and our producer, Lance, said, you know what? One of my favorite things I've read all month, in the entire month of April, was Marcello's piece on 10 college football programs ready to take the next step. And Lance, you know, said these were the the programs on the verge. Uh, and he was excited about it, even though you didn't mention his Rutgers Scarlet Knights. So I said, okay, <laughs> yeah, let's get Brandon on to talk about a few of these. We're not going to talk about all of them. I'll, I'll include the article in the show notes. You've got 10. We'll talk about four or five of the most interesting ones to us. And before we get going, and I think it's, it's important context if you read the piece, because you'll see teams like Louisiana, these aren't necessarily Brandon teams that you think are going to like make the jump to the playoff, but teams that are going to within the confines of their own expectations or capabilities make the jump. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very important thing to, you know, provide context to all this. You're going to see some teams. If you read the article and some we'll talk about, you're going, that's not a team going to make the next jump, even make a new year six or something like that, or even a you know national championship playoff. These are teams that are ready to finally either get back to where maybe people expect them to be or to kind of get back on a more consistent path where we're going, they finally made that next step of improvement to where we could turn back and maybe say that was the year when everything turned everything turned around for them or, hey, that was the year they broke through nationally. Yeah, the first one I want to talk about, I feel like they've already had their kind of breakthrough and that was when they hired Lane Kiffin, but it feels like Ole Miss is on the, on the verge of, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to win the SEC West, but I can tell you no one wants to play them. And you were saying like if their defense gets better – like they're just only going to keep going up. Yeah, listen, I mean, last year they finished 5 and 5. They beat top 10 Indiana in the Outback Bowl. Of course, Indiana wasn't what it was at the end of the season with the injuries, especially a quarterback, but with Lane Kiffin's offense and what we saw, I mean, listen, everybody kind of defined Ole Miss's season by what they did against Alabama in a game where they were in it until the final 5 minutes or so and had a chance to win and made Alabama's defense looks silly. And for that matter, most defenses in the SEC look silly. And that was all Lane Kiffin. I mean, he took a quarterback, a Matt Corral, who, it, in my opinion, going into this past season, I was writing in the preseason. This tells you how wrong I was. I was writing in the preseason. Hey, John Reese Plumley is the quarterback that makes the most sense to work out in Ole Miss's offense under Lane Kiffin. And then I was told like two weeks after that, no, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> So it just tells you like how you set these expectations of your own and you go, oh, Matt Corral, I watched him play. He's not that good. And then he comes in and he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the SEC. And then he goes into this season, maybe as the best guy, maybe second best guy behind JT Daniels at Georgia. Averaged 333 yards passing last year. Their offense was incredible to watch. A lot of fun. But that defense was atrocious, just terrible. And for that matter, this is a team that won four SEC games in a 10-game schedule. If they just improve slightly and on defense, they're going to have a winning season and maybe something even bigger or better. So for bigger and better for Ole Miss in the year two of the Lane Kiffin era, that's probably eight wins. And so I see this as a team that can win seven games, maybe get to eight games. But I think in my opinion, most definitely – the expectation for Ole Miss fans should be getting back over 500 and making it interesting in some of these games where maybe they actually pull off an upset or two to kind of rock the boat a little bit in the SEC West. Yeah, and as you mentioned in your piece, they signed the number 17 class in yeah. the country last year, which is, I mean, the year before that was the number 34 class. So Lane Kiffin, 
Elijah Moore is going to be a first round picket receiver. He had mm-hmm. talent, but he turned Matt Corral into a star. But if he's doing it with these guys, it's it's exciting to think about what he's going to do when he gets his guys in there. Um, had a comment recently on the College Football Daily Apple Reviews page that said, I love it when you talk about the Pac-12. So we'll hop over to Lane Kiffin's former school, the USC Trojans. You did a podcast episode on this recently, Brandon, with Shotgun Spratling on the College Football Daily. Feels like USC is absolutely on the verge bidding for a playoff spot, but also like Clay Helton has to start doing that this year to keep his job. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Shotgun there. We were talking, he thinks it's like almost college football playoff or bust for Clay Helton this year. And and that but that, that's because listen, he's going into, you know, seventh season here where we're going, you know what, and he's been an interim coach. He's been there for a long time. If you're there for that long at USC, you better at least get to the college football playoff once in this era. And he hasn't done that. And so you look at the roster this year, Keaton Slovis coming back. He's got a few receivers, but to me, talking to Shotgun and then really researching USC, obviously it's a team went to the Pac-12 championship last year before losing to Oregon. But the thing that kept popping out to me talking to Shotgun was just how good their defensive line is possibly going to be this year, where to me, to win the Pac-12 now, where Oregon just seems to kind of, no matter what, even last year when they didn't quite have the season they wanted to, but still got to the Pac-12 championship because of COVID stuff, they just absolutely took it to, to USC. And that's because they're just a more physical team in the trenches than really anybody in the Pac-12. Maybe USC, in my opinion, with that defensive line that we keep hearing so many good things about. And by the way, they still don't have the number one player in the country on campus yet. He'll be coming in, I think, August is when he's arriving. That defensive line might end up being the best in the Pac-12, one of the top 10 units in the country. And if that's the case, coupled with that offense, and they can cut down on some mistakes, this is, should be the year. Not maybe. This should be the year USC breaks through wins the Pac-12 championship, and Clay Helton gets a little more confidence from the fan base. Having said that, they still have to go through Oregon. Washington is going to be pretty good. UCLA, right there in town, I think, I include them on the list, which you go read more about at 247sports.com. I think UCLA is going to make a jump this year, potentially. UCLA, by the way, is a team I actually believe is going to make that next step uh, instead of just maybe possibly. But USC could possibly take that next step. They should take that next step at this point in the Clay Helton era. And the reason for it, I know what they've got on offense, but to me, the difference for them is going to be a much improved defensive line that's much more consistent, and it's going to show a lot of flash this year. I like the way this schedule breaks out for USC. Oh, yeah. Starting the season for San Jose State. You get BYU at the end of the year. BYU is going to have to reload with Zach Wilson off to the NFL. And you're going to Notre Dame, but you're always going to play Notre Dame. And I think Notre Dame is going to be a little bit down. There's not much room for error, but you could also like see them winning quite a few games here. Well, th- and there's some games on there that are trap games, including like Colorado, where if they were to play Colorado late in the season when it is super cold, that's probably a game they end up losing, but it's earlier in the year. I think it's in October, and you know they feel good about that inside the doors there at USC. So you're exactly right about that schedule. They feel really good about the schedule among that coaching staff. I'm crushing the segues today. Now we're going to, you know, former USC coach Steve Sarkeesian. Now he's down in Austin. Brandon, I'm going to kick you off here on this. Texas's next step is absolutely like in their own confines and expectations would be winning a national title. For now, fans would settle on winning the Big 12. I don't know if that's going to happen this year because when I look at Oklahoma, I see a team that you and I both ranked either one or two in our uh, pre-spring top 25 ballot. The Sooners are absolutely loaded. 
But as spring has gone on, I found myself drinking the Texas Longhorn Kool-Aid here. I absolutely think Steve Sarkeesian is going to win big in Austin. I kind of don't think it matters who wins the quarterback competition. Yeah. I think the fans are starting to pull for for young redshirt freshman Hudson Card, who is a higher-ranked recruit than Casey Thompson. But B. John Robinson stays healthy. Yes. Man, like this this team's gonna be pretty dang good, not just in 2021, but I think 2022 is kind of the, the Big 12 title window is wide open. Yeah, you know, here's the thing with Texas. You mentioned Bijan Robinson. If there are some hiccups offensively as they're growing in with a new quarterback and obviously switching to a different offense, they can lean on Bijan. They should be able to to be able to get some wins and maybe some big wins. And I think Bijan is most definitely someone to keep an eye on potentially in the Heisman race, though we're getting more and more away from running backs really being the winners in that. But that that's gonna be he's gonna be he could be one of the top players in the country and should be. But you mentioned, I mean, Texas expectations. I mean, listen. Anybody close to that program, their expectations are probably going to be a little bit higher than those outside, which is winning a national championship. But going into this year, it should be competing for the Big 12 title, which they did last year. But you always had that sinking feeling when those games were developing, especially that Texas Tech game, which I came back and won. You're just like, and then the TCU game they lost. You're just like, this is not a championship caliber team right now. It's been 11 years since they've won a Big 12 title. That is absolutely unacceptable for a program the caliber of Texas. And meanwhile, Oklahoma is just winning two, 10 games or more every single season. And Texas is struggling to get to 10 wins. So the next step for Texas, considering the circumstances, is getting to that Big 12 championship game with a first-year coach. And considering the makeup of this team, I think it's very, very viable. Having said that, a team that I don't believe I included on the list, but it's my big time sleeper that people were kind of laughing at before the season last year is Iowa state. This is going to be probably the best opportunity in their history to compete for a college football playoff or to win the big 12 championship. But having said that you mentioned Oklahoma, their defense is probably gonna be the best they've had in at least 10, 15 years. So Oklahoma should be the favorite to win the big 12, but Texas considering all the talent they've got. I mean, listen to their last four recruiting classes and their rankings in the 24/7 Sports Composite. Number 3, number 3, number 8, and then number 16 this past year because of a coaching change. You are loaded and you should be competing for a Big 12 championship. This year, Steve Sarkeesian is not just a competent head coach and has won everywhere he's been, but he has definitely changed his mindset and the way he goes about things, especially offensively, and he sees this as his baby. He's got the tight ends, I believe. I think they're going to be able to do some different things offensively that gets them to a point where they could be multiple, and if there's one guy injured or struggling, their offense doesn't automatically shut down. And so I think Texas is going to be more consistent this year. And I see the Longhorns being right there with Iowa State and competing for the Big 12 uh, championship spot. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Iowa State. That's probably the the more natural foil right now um, than Oklahoma. Uh, and then we'll mention, we don't need to talk about them. And I don't mean that rudely, but Texas A&M is also on your, on your, uh, in your article here. And I think their next step would be, you know, beating Alabama because you beat Alabama which which sounds, you know, hey, just beat a team. And that <laughs> opens up a world of new opportunities for the Aggies, SEC West titles and uh, SEC championship game appearances and playoffs and, and who knows what else. I'm talking about Miami later on the week, later on this week on the College Football Daily. And this is a really intriguing program to me. I feel like if it's if it wasn't for Clemson and then the other kind of rising teams in the ACC, this would feel like their window this is Derek King's last season in Coral Gables. He was so awesome, especially to start the year. 
you know, how long is Rhett Lashley going to, going to be their OC until he gets snatched up to be somebody's head coach after his sort of career renaissance down there as well. You know, they keep striking gold in the transfer portal. Can that last? They're recruiting well too. I'm, I'm bullish here. I'm bullish here on the hurricanes and obviously you are too. Yeah. I mean, three of their last four recruiting classes have been in the top 16 nationally and you mentioned the transfer portal. They're just absolutely killing it. It's something about Miami and the University of Florida. They're just killing it in the in the transfer portal. And their biggest pickup, I think, was Charleston Rambo at receiver. Really going to give Derek King a big time weapon they need. I've watched Rambo in person two or three times or twice, I should say. And the guy is going to be able to stretch the field, sneak behind some of those safeties and and get them something that not necessarily that they were missing last year, but a threat on every single play, which is Something that they're losing, obviously, with with some of the production they had last year, particularly at the tight end spot. But to me, this is all going to lean on De'Ara King and just if he's back to his normal self after the ACL surgery he underwent in January. They're expecting him to be just fine, but it's one thing to say that and then get out there and you look look at and practice physically, and then you get out in the game and mentally you're just like a half step behind everything, and that changes everything for you. So, I mean, listen, every preseason projection is just an absolute guesswork, but you mentioned it. I mean, goodness gracious, this is the window. This is the year for Manny Diaz to break through, but you're facing, uh, you're in the ACC where it certainly improved last year, and then this year, I think, is going to be right up there, even without Notre Dame. Clemson's should win the, the 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 ACC once again, but there's a window there. There's an opportunity, and the the bad thing is, is that people, especially Miami fans, might look at this as a bad season if they lose three or four games. But they're going to be the best three loss team in the country potentially. They have to play obviously Alabama in the season opener, and then of course Michigan State. But to me the experience they have offensively and defensively, and then just adding these little pieces here and there from the transfer portal, not just on offense, you get DeAndre Johnson, who is the Sachs leader at Tennessee on the roster. This is a team certainly capable of not just maybe winning the ACC, but maybe getting in the playoff. I think it's a long shot, but with the experience and, and talent, they should, in my opinion, they should, and I'll say it now, they should either knock off Clemson, or North Carolina at some point, you know, especially, I mean, if they meet in the uh, ACC championship game, they'll be a threat wow. to knock off anybody in the ACC this year. Problem is they could lose, still lose three games because of that schedule. And you, you better hope that you don't suffer like a Florida state, right. Alabama effect where you just get broken. And you just like, you're totally yeah, that's the, that's the, I didn't think about that. And we've, I think we've actually done a story. I remember reading a story about this, that, that you're exactly right. The Alabama effect, these teams play Alabama in the season opener and they just, they just like break them, you know, Louisville, Florida state, as you mentioned, that it's just like the whole season just ended right there and the teams can't rebound. It's yeah. a great point. I'm being serious. It's a great no. point. It's, I think it's a real thing. I think because <laughs> it, it happens and we've seen it. And we talked about this last year, but. If USC's game versus Alabama didn't, of course, get canceled oh. last year. I don't know if Clay Helton's still there. Cause no, no, you know, sixty-three fourteen would have done for the old job security. Yeah, he'd be gone. So, so last guy we're going to talk about, last co- or school, I should say, but it's really just a guy, Scott Frost. I was talking Nebraska with Michael Brunts the other mm-hmm. week on the College Football Daily, and I said, "What's what's our job security looking like?" He thinks that he Scott Frost is going to keep his job unless like the Huskers go three and seven, which sounds really really low, like a low expectation. But as you point out, Brandon, Nebraska hasn't had a winning season 
uh, or has only had one winning season since the Bo Pelini era ended. They were three and five last year, five and seven in 2019, four and eight in 2018. So none of those are too far away from going three and seven, but you saw a few signs of life last year, a little bit more competitive. And you're thinking that it's the expectation for them now is what? Just a, a winning record in a bowl game? <laughs> 500 and getting and maybe getting the six wins and getting mm-hmm. or maybe seven wins and getting above 500. Yeah. And Nebraska fans are going to be sitting there, even, you know, just a casual fan sitting around. They're going to go, that's not a big step. Well, for Nebraska, as you mentioned, considering the history since 2014, that is a big step because they've had top 25 recruiting classes. Uh, that's not an issue, but the issue is keeping some of those players on campus, the attrition, some of those players not being developed and into guys that are top 25 type players by the end of their careers. And so just get above 500 in Nebraska. That is a good step going forward. And as you mentioned, I I too, from talking to people, don't see Scott Frost getting fired this year unless they just absolutely have tank this year. And that goes to show you just how bad of a situation they're in in Nebraska. They can't keep changing coaches because I think they understand that if they do that, they might end up getting into a rut where uh, I hate to bring Tennessee into this, but maybe they turn into a Tennessee where for a decade, they can't even get to a point where they're having back-to-back winning seasons. So Scott Frost should be okay this year, but man, if if they were to win like four or five games or four games, again, I, I should say, then next year, certainly in 2022, he is on the hot seat. And at this yeah. point with top 25 classes every single year, you better get to 500, but I mean, listen, it just has not been a fun ride for the Cornhuskers in the Big Ten. And I, I wonder, I, I'm sure a lot of fans secretly, they might not say it would go, I wish we were back in the Big 12. And the Big 12 would love to have them back. Oh, certainly. Um, it makes and sense it, it, and it fits. It, it, it's going to be fun to watch them play Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Like, <laughs> yes. Well, that, I'll, I'll just to get the off-season drama they had, yeah. Yeah, they got a lot of grief for it. I will say, though, this is at least what Michael Brunch was telling me. Scott Frost and the players were kind of annoyed and a little embarrassed that it was made to seem that they personally right. wanted out. You know, I don't know if that's a front for it leaking, maybe, but said there's like a group of players who came and said, hey, guys, coaches, like, we want to play Oklahoma. So I think they know they're going to lose, but at, at least it's fit big for them to be on the national stage. Because as you said, when you're not making the bowl games and having a winning record, you're really not going to be on it. Otherwise, even if you are a brand as strong as Nebraska, Brandon, we appreciate you joining us as always on the college football daily. Make sure you're following Brandon on Twitter at B Marcello, always posting good stuff. always dropping his links and uh, we will try to make sure that his 10 programs on the verge story is also in our show notes too. our producer is Lance Glenn. My name is Trey Scott. Hope everyone has a great Wednesday. We'll talk to you next time on the college football daily. 